I love Peter. This apostle doesn't often make it to the top of the who's who in the New Testament list. In fact, Peter is often overshadowed by Paul. Paul is a spiritual giant in the Christian tradition whose writings have blessed the church over and over again. But Peter was a giant too. In fact, he is all the more real to me because he is an ordinary man. He was a fisherman. Peter does not have a lot of money or education. Because he was from Galilee, he most likely spoke Aramaic and Greek. Peter has strengths as well as a significant share of weaknesses. His life, as David Gill points out, revolves around the family business, the sea, his wife, and his mother-in-law. You know, it's just an ordinary story about an ordinary man. Peter is real to me. Why is this so? Is it because he has a basilica named after him in Vatican City? Is it because his grave is located beneath that altar? Or do we feel close to Peter because he's an ordinary man striving to follow an extraordinary Lord? An ordinary guy. You know, sometimes people, even last week, someone asked me, but sometimes people ask what churches my father has served, assuming that most pastors come from families of pastors. Well, that happens to not be my case. It does happen to be the case of, with my wife, Laura. She comes from a family with a pastoral progeny. Her grandfather was a pastor. Her father was a pastor. Four of her uncles were pastors, one Lutheran, one Episcopalian. She married a pastor. Three of her nieces are pastors. But me, I'm the son of a nurse and a meat salesman with Valleydale Meat Packers who bought a Dairy Queen in my sophomore year of high school. My father was a deeply dedicated Presbyterian ruling elder who served God faithfully and taught us how to put that cue on the top of a Dairy Queen cone. I am good at that. I can still do it. I thank God that I had the opportunity to work alongside my father for nine years of my life. Now, most of us are ordinary people. Most of us will never ride in a spaceship or probe the depths of the ocean. Most of us will never make life-altering inventions. Most of us will not travel around the globe or run for political office or write a book or become a world-renowned musician. Most of us are good, ordinary people who are doing our best to serve faithfully right where we are. And that's where Jesus finds Peter, Simon. In Matthew 5, Simon, who is later called Peter, works with his brother Andrew and their business partners, the sons of Zebedee, James and John. They are washing their fishing nets. This was usually done in the morning after a night of fishing. The nets have to be cleansed and dried to keep them from rotting. Debris like bones and dead fish and plants and algae and sticks had to be cleaned out and the nets had to be mended. It was a long process 
made all the more difficult because they had had no sleep. The fishermen are finishing up when a crowd following Jesus presses up to the shore. Well, Jesus wants to teach, but he needs a spot where he can be seen and heard. So he steps into Simon's boat and asks Simon to shove off from the shore just a bit. And from there, Jesus sits and teaches. It's a beautiful scene. So many of the teachers in that day could only teach from elevated stands above and in front of the congregation. Are we talking about 2024? There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven steps that I'm above you, which is really cool. Not really. (laughs) But in today's architecture, a lot of our sanctuaries are being built, lowering the pulpits perhaps elevating the congregation so that they can enjoy and learn from and worship with the help of the musicians and the pastors. I served a church at one point where the pews were so close, and they have a stand up here that I don't use, but it was so close, Kate, that they were so close up here that the first two pews literally needed to have heating pads given to them during the sermon because they were the whole time staring up at the pulpit. So I I promise I'll come down from that eighth step. Jesus uses that opportunity to teach, and Simon watches closely. He has already seen Jesus at work when he healed Simon's mother-in-law, and the seed has already been planted. Now Jesus is watering it. As we look at Peter's call, we look at our own call to discipleship. Assuming that most of us would profess to be Christian, think back. When did you accept Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ, as the Savior? Was it on a particular day at a particular place? Or has it been a longer, more gradual process as you were born into a Christian family system Which is it for you, a dynamic Damascus Road kind of conversion like the Apostle Paul experienced or a longer process of conversion? Which one of these is more genuine, more authentic? Well, both are just as genuine, just as authentic. In fact, those who claim the dynamic Damascus Road kind of conversion almost always see ways in which God was already planting seeds weeks, months, even years before the salvation moment. Nicky Cruz was a member of a notorious gang dealing drugs and death. He gave his life to Christ on a particular night, but in his book, The Son of Evil Street, Nicky shares that the seeds had been planted months earlier by the invitations of his Christian friends to come to Jesus. The seeds were being watered by the prayers of David Wilkerson and others who had faith that God could change Nikki's heart. Yes, Nikki Cruz was able to point to one specific night at a preaching crusade when he accepted Christ, but he celebrates the seeds that were sown in the soil of his soul. In theology, we call this prevenient grace, which is the grace that comes to us 
from God before we ever make a move in God's direction. Pastor, theologian, and author Barbara Brown Taylor challenges the typical outlook of amazing grace. She calls it alarming grace. Alarming grace. She is passionate about the truth that grace can be bestowed upon anyone. Barbara says that grace in the Christian tradition has often referred to the idea of God's surprising goodness, even when someone does not deserve it. Drawing from the story of the prodigal son and the loving father, Brown said, uh, Barbara says, grace isn't fair. Sooner or later, everyone is offended by the grace of God. Sooner or later, everyone is offended by the grace of God. Knowing that each person's spiritual awakening is unique, she concludes, take heart, friends, because sometimes grace takes a long time to activate. For those who have experienced a gradual process of salvation, your faith is just as real and genuine. If we watch, we will also experience little Damascus Road moments. Maybe, maybe it happens at a conference or a retreat or a concert or a beautiful mountaintop vista. Maybe it's in the Monday Lectio Divina study or in the Thursday Women's Bible study. Maybe it's one of those second course Lenten small groups that are going on right now. Maybe it's when the church sings a favorite hymn of our father or mother at their funeral. Perhaps you sense that you are communing with the saints and your spirit is lifted to new heights of awareness and love. Seeds are being planted in you and me daily. And God's spirit is helping us to grow. Simon certainly experiences this. After Jesus finishes teaching, he asks Simon to put out into the deeper water and let down the nets. What? Why? We just finished cleaning them, Jesus. This is like, it's like asking a preacher to go into the pulpit again at one o'clock on a Sunday afternoon and preach the sermon again with as much energy as they had during the sermon. I'm sorry, I, that doesn't happen for me. I did not have it planned to go down the steps and come back up. Sorry, that kind of thing happens. You cannot script that. It just occurs. It's like asking a surgeon to reopen the incision of a patient after successfully completing the surgery. After asking for Jesus to ask Peter to throw those nets back into the water, it's like asking a dairy farmer to hang milkers to the udders of a cow that has already been milked dry. Simon Peter hesitates for a moment, and this is the first of many, many conversations between Jesus and Peter. And right off the bat, Peter shows, as one author put it, that he is, quote, the impetuous disciple whose tongue often outruns his insight. I think that's why I like him so much. That's another reason that he's dear, because the gospel writers do not edit out Peter's blunders. And if we are really honest, we blunder in our moments with Jesus too. Lord... You can't ask me to teach our youth at Second Pres. We, we pay interns and staff to do that. It's not my calling. You know that. Lord, our church has never done it that way before. 
and I'm sure it won't work. Jesus, we've been fishing all night. The nets are drying. This graveyard shift is really tough. I just need sleep. Can't we do this tomorrow? Then Peter, having seen a miracle occur with the healing of his own mother-in-law, decides to do what Jesus asks, and another miracle happens. Peter and his brother Andrew catch so many fish that their nets are bursting. Partners James and John come in their boat to help, and both boats are so loaded down with fish that they begin to sink. And then Peter falls on his knees and exclaims, Go away, Lord, I'm a sinful man. If only today's screenwriters would look at Peter for a story, it would make a remarkable movie. He does not hesitate to fall on his knees before Jesus and offer his weakness so that Christ can make him strong. Are we ready to do that? Do we realize that the church is not a museum for saints, but a hospital for sinners? It is only when we accept this fact that we are ready to receive God's call. Isaiah's experience that Mary Jane read to us is the same. In Isaiah 6, when he sees the Lord high and lifted up, his immediate response is, There is no hope for me. I am doomed because every word that passes my lips is sinful, and I live among a people whose every word is sinful. And yet, Isaiah says, With my own eyes I have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then and only then is he ready to serve. Then and only then are we really ready to serve. When we realize our sin, our weaknesses, our shortcomings, Jesus is ready to fill us with his spirit of power and boldness. Only when we empty our vessel of self can we be filled with the spirit of the living God. It happens for Peter. That day, Jesus turns a fishing trip into a call to discipleship and promises Simon that he will make him no longer a fisher of fish, but a fisher of people. From now on, Simon will be catching people. And when they dock their boats, James and John, Andrew and Simon, leave everything and they follow Jesus of Nazareth. One final point must be made. In the Gospel of John, Simon's name is changed. His call is sealed by the new name Peter, which means rock. If he was around today, Peter might rival Dwayne Johnson in being the rock. What did this change of name mean for Peter? The late Frederick Beekner, in his book Peculiar Treasures, writes, A rock... A rock isn't the prettiest thing in creation or the fanciest or the smartest. And if it gets rolling in the wrong direction, watch out. But there's no nonsense about a rock. And once it settles down, it's pretty much there to stay. There's not a lot you can do to change a rock or crack it or get under its skin. And barring earthquakes, you can depend on it about as much as you can depend on anything. So Jesus called him the rock, and it stuck with him the rest of his life. Peter, 
the rock. He could stop fishing for fish, Jesus told him. He'd been promoted. From there on out, people were to be his business. Now he could start fishing for them. Simon's call from Jesus to follow carries a new name, a new character. But even still, Peter is an ordinary man with a refreshingly ordinary background that he never forgets. And that makes him all the more real to you and me. Christ's call to us has a name change. We now bear the name Christian. The question is, are we bearing the name faithfully? Are we willing to be open to the surprises God may send our way like He did with Peter? Are we catching others for Christ? That is what we must do in response to God's call. On March the 3rd, we will look at Peter's confession. On March the 10th, we will hear about Peter's cowardice. And on March the 31st, Easter Sunday, we will rejoice in Peter's conviction. The scripture references will be provided in the midweek email so that you may prayerfully prepare your hearts and minds for this journey throughout Lent and into Easter. May God allow Peter's life to strengthen us as we wrestle with our own call, as we seek to respond faithfully and boldly. Let us pray. Love divine, all loves excelling. Joy of heaven to earth, come down. Fix in us thy humble dwelling, all thy faithful mercies crown. Jesus, thou art all compassion. Pure, unbounded love thou art. Visit us with thy salvation. Enter every trembling heart. Amen.